You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. We've got a special episode again today in partnership with Meadowlark and Levitard and Friends with reaction from Landon Donovan, Chris Whittingham, and me to the U.S. men's national team's 1-1 tie with Canada in World Cup qualifying game two. Landon's in San Diego, where he coaches San Diego Loyal. Chris is with me in person here in Nashville, where I'm writing for my Substack newsletter, which you should subscribe to for your paid at grantwall.substack.com. Guys, great to see you. Not a great result. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you guys? Bummed out, I would say. <laughs> I, I traveled just yeah. to watch this game as a fan, and I was there... I actually ended up separating myself from my friends just because I wanted to behave like a lunatic in in peace. And uh, yeah, it was not fun. It was not fun. I will say this before we get going. This is the first time I've ever seen Chris Whittingham in person after doing 150 (laughs) podcast episodes over the last year and a half. And it's nice to see you, Chris. You're a three-dimensional human being. Yeah, it's the same for you. I only know you as a Zoom window. And uh, it's it's not it's nice <laughs> nice to finally meet in person and uh, and actually get to get to talk as people for once. So lots to talk about here. Let's start with you, Landon, and just dive right in. You calmed a lot of people down after the tie in El Salvador, saying that that's common in Concacaf qualifying. Dropping two points at home to Canada feels worse than that. What's your sense? Well, first I want to say I. I tried to warn people also that Canada are a good team. So this notion also that you just win at home automatically doesn't happen. You have to earn it. And I went through that in 01. My first qualifier ever actually was at RFK against Honduras and we lost 3-2. And you are not you are not given the right to win these games. Not at all. And so Canada are a good team. And if you don't make the plays offensively and defensively that make the difference, again, you can walk out of these games with a tie. I still want to wait through the end of the week until you have a total view of what the picture looks like. But right now, after last night, it is pretty grim. Dropping points at home is a huge missed opportunity. And now you have a really really challenging game in Honduras, a team who has a lot of hope after two road ties and they will go home and be absolutely crazy for this game and excited for this game. And I guess Witty being there in person, what was, what was the takeaway? For me, it was slow play, I think, was just the, the overall thing. And, and Christian Pulisic mentioned after, it, after the game as well that there weren't enough ideas. You're trying to pull apart a team that's in a 5-4-1, and they were very clearly bunker and countering. And they have such threats on the counterattack that it makes perfect sense. When Tejon Buchanan comes off the bench as a sub, nearly creates the winning goal, Alfonso Davies burned Serginho Dest, burned DeAndre Yedlin. Like, you know that that's their threat. And yet the U.S. kind of struggled to, to negate it and then kind of going against a packed in defense. But they're not great individual defenders within that Canada back five. They play that system because they don't have tremendous individual defenders. And yet I thought everything they tried to do to pull Canada apart didn't really come off. And, 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 that's, and that's the frustrating thing is that 
when they tried to switch the play with long diagonals, they died in the air. They didn't get to their intended targets. I thought Anthony Robinson was conservative with his passing, was really sideways and backwards. Sebastian Legette was conservative with his passing, sideways and backwards. There wasn't enough penetration. There wasn't enough trying to get through Canada. And they didn't really create that many opportunities. Their expected goals figure is about the same as it was for the El Salvador match. But watching the game, it's like chances are at a premium here. And Canada actually looked more dangerous on the counterattack. And John Herdman said after the game that he kind of felt like it's a missed opportunity for them, which only goes to show kind of how weak it might be too strong a word, but it just wasn't a strong enough performance. Yeah, I mean, that's what I noticed too. Just after the game, it was in the press conference, you had John Herdman, the Canada coach saying, we felt like we could have come away with three points here. And and you don't want Canada coming in and saying that type of thing uh, in that situation. And you know, both teams ended up having just two shots on goal, I think, the whole game. Mm-hmm. And a lot of disappointment from this U.S. team right now, just two points after two qualifiers. Landon, what was your sense? I mean, the result's one thing. The performance is another. And this performance seemed lacking. Yeah, I, I actually separate those two when I'm evaluating our games here in San Diego. I always separate the result from the performance because in this sport you can play really, really well and not win, or you can play awfully and win a game. So you have to separate the two. What what you have to do in home qualifiers especially is you have to pile on the pressure. And eventually teams under that kind of pressure with a home American crowd will crack. And there was a lack of that. There was never significant sustained pressure on the Canadian defense. And that is the weakness of their team. No offense to you know, Donnell Henry and Alistair Johnston and those guys, but that is the weakness of their team. And we never piled on enough pressure to make them crack. There were moments here and there, but it has to be sustained five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes of constant pressure, free kicks, corner kicks, balls in front of their goal that put them under pressure. And we never did that. And that's why we weren't creating chances. That's why we didn't score goals. You you, you got to put them under more pressure. Well, what is that the product of? I guess would be my question. Is it languid possession? Is it a product of really, I, I thought again, Christian Pulisic was fairly anonymous just because he wasn't able to really get on the ball and be dangerous. That's happened quite a bit in the national team. What's the issue with getting him on the ball? I guess my question is just, what is that a product of? Is it an overly careful system? Mm-hmm. Is it players playing on under pressure. I, I just don't know why the U.S. isn't able to really create that sustained pressure. They weren't able to at any point in the first 180 minutes of World Cup qualifying. Yeah, so I'm going to keep saying uh, this phrase. I, I, I'm not there in person. I'm not in camp, so I don't have the full context. But watching with my eyes, there was a lack of desire to be a little more direct at times, a little more vertical at times. And you heard Greg talk about it in the post the post game too. Just the desire to put them under pressure with your running, with your movement, sending numbers forward. And maybe they were a little scared of the Canadian counterattack, and maybe that's why there was a little hesitation or reticence to really go forward. But if you're going to score goals against a team that's bunkered in like that, you have to pile on pressure with, like I said, with crosses, even deep crosses, putting balls in front of their goal, getting free kicks, corners, running at guys, putting the referee under pressure with a home American crowd to make some calls your way. And it didn't seem like that was the case. And I'll get back to the same thing I keep saying. We have young, talented players that are playing at big clubs all over the world, but they don't have the experience in those kind of games to do that. I promise you, 
midweek in Honduras, you will see Honduras with experienced players put the referee under tremendous pressure by running at guys, putting balls in front of goal, making it really difficult. And and that's something you learn over time in these games, and, and we're not there yet. One thing I want to ask here also is about after the game, Christian Pulisic said once the U.S. took the lead at 1-0 on Aronson's goal, he was disappointed that the U.S. didn't sort of change up things a little bit and defend a little bit more and, and try to win the game 1-0. Six minutes passed, the equalizer came, U.S. couldn't get the winner. And it sounded a little bit like, I'm just reading between the lines here, that Polisic was a little disappointed with Greg Berhalter for not switching things up. And, and, and I guess my question would be, what is that the right approach to take when you're at home to try and just sort of, you know, salt out a one nil win and, and sort of bunker in a little bit after you get the lead? Or, or where do you come from on that, Landon? Well, actually, I, I want to flip it on you guys. What did it feel like in the stadium after the U.S. goal? Did it feel like Canada would could get back in the game right away? Or did it feel like the U.S. were on their way to a victory? For me, it kind of just felt like, well, let's just keep going with the way that we've been going, right? I think one of the other things that Christian as well mentioned in the press conference was he wanted to see different ideas. There was a couple of goes at Greg Berhalter, I felt like, in his comments, right, in terms of we need different ideas, we need to... And I think, really, for me, what we're kind of talking about is that Greg Ber And you mentioned as well, Landon, with the experience, right, going away from home, putting the referee under pressure, having the experience. Because of the nature of the team, that it's so young, it seems like they operate on plan A and plan A only. And so plan A was to mm. establish possession, go forward, try and, you know, create chances with your passing... And that's all they had. They weren't going to bunker in for a 1-0. They were going to try and put the referee. They're not adjusting to game situations. They're sticking to Greg Berhalter's plan A. And that's what it kind of felt like after the goal is we're just going to keep playing. And it's just impossible in that moment, in my view. Look, Alfonso Davies is one of the fastest players in the world. He's one of the best players in the world. I understand getting beat by him can happen. But it just feels like DeAndre Yedlin got caught flat-footed there. Like, the most important thing at that point is don't get beat by Alfonso Davies, like, almost above all else. And the fact that they did for a fairly simple tap-in, I think, just kind of shows that they just kept on playing their game. They kept on playing in exactly the way that they intended to. I also felt like inside the stadium, there was a lot of excitement when the U.S. got the goal, but I think there was a let-up, you know, and there was a let-up on the field from the U.S. team, which we see from time to time after you score a goal and you think you've got this advantage now. And the disappointing thing for me was it was veteran defenders who were at fault for the U.S., not mm -hmm. just Yedlin, but John Brooks, yeah. really mm -hmm. behind the play on the goal that was scored by Canada. And you can't do that in that situation. And those guys have been around long enough to know that you can't do that in that situation. Yeah, my takeaway, you guys were in the stadium, so you have a, a different vantage point, but I don't agree with, with Christian that at that moment of the match, you just sit in and bunker for 30 minutes. However, there has to be a pragmatism about you that helps you understand how important um, these last 30 minutes are. And what you'll realize, and now they're going to start realizing this, and we keep talking about how they need these experiences. The next time this happens, I can promise you in their brains, they're going to go, okay, remember Canada? 
If this is really ugly for the last 30 minutes, fine. It doesn't mean we're bunkering in. Maybe the last five minutes we're bunkering in if we need to. But we are high alert right now, making sure we don't give up any chances and we just see this game out. And oftentimes, guys, and you know this from watching, these games don't look like soccer games. They don't look like <laughs> soccer games when you're watching Barcelona or you're watching Juventus or you're, you know, you're watching Norwich or you're what they're not. These are not soccer games. They're just battles and you're getting through the 90 minutes. One or two of these games during qualifying, maybe you get Jamaica at home. Maybe you have a good night against Panama at home where you win three or four zero, but the rest of them are just getting through the 90 minutes and doing what it takes to get the points. And that is something you have to learn. You just have to learn that over time. It's like a different way of playing soccer and it's not fun. It's not enjoyable, but you just have to grind and get through it. And I hope they learn that lesson after last night because there will be a time later in the qualifying. Maybe it's Costa Rica at home. They score in the 60th minute. It's 1-0. And have they learned the lesson and just do what's needed in that moment to win 1-0? Now, we haven't mentioned Weston McKenney yet. And I think we need to talk about this. There's still a lack of total information here. Here's what we do know. Weston McKenney was suspended for this game by Greg Berhalter, the U.S. men's national team. After the game, I asked Berhalter what the reason was, mentioned that McKenney on his Instagram said that he had violated COVID protocols. That was the reason he was suspended. Even then, Berhalter wouldn't specify to my question the reasons. He also said that McKenney isn't guaranteed to be reinstated for Wednesday's game. So we don't have a ton of information here, but we do know that earlier this year with Juventus, Weston McKenney violated Italian national COVID protocols by having several 10 people over for a dinner party. And he and Paolo Dybala and Arthur were suspended for a game and fined by Juventus for doing that. So this is a, a second offense. It was a big game. McKenney's an important player, a leader on the team. And I guess based on that knowledge, what should we make of that? And, and what do you think, Landon, like knowing your history inside a, a U.S. men's national team when stuff like this has happened... What's that like inside the team? So, uh, I am I am privy to what happened. I'm not going to um, announce that publicly. I will just say I am incredibly disappointed in Weston. Incredibly disappointed. Look, I can understand at Juventus during a long club season, you're sitting at home for months and months and months and you want to have people over. Is it the smartest thing to do? No, but I get it. This is one week of your life with three massive games, not only for yourself, but for your teammates and for your country to go to a World Cup. And the level of selfishness in, in that moment is beyond me. Honestly, it's beyond me. I've made a lot of dumb mistakes in my life. I get it. I'm not here to be all righteous. But he is young. Yes, but he's old enough to understand that you don't do this. You don't need to put yourself in this situation and worse, put your team in that situation. Would they have won the game if he's on the field yesterday? I don't know, but their chances went up a lot. I promise if he was on the field and their chances of winning or getting a point in Honduras go up a ton on Wednesday if he's in the lineup. I am just really disappointed with him. It doesn't mean you write him off and he's a horrible human being. He needs to learn from this. 
but this can never, ever, ever happen again. It is, it is almost beyond repair, and he has a lot of work to do with his teammates to make sure that he never does something like that again because you lose trust in your teammate. This is their livelihood. These guys want to go to a World Cup. Christian knows what it feels like to sit on the field in Trinidad crying because he didn't go to a World Cup. And you can't put your team in that situation. So it's really disappointing. I hope he has apologized profusely. I hope he is able to to make the trip on Wednesday for the game. And he needs to make amends. He really does. The interesting thing is I was reading yesterday to like just to reacquaint myself with what happened. But Andrea Pirlo, towards the end of his reign in Juventus, did question Weston McKinney's professionalism. He said that when he arrived, he was kind of 50% professional and he eventually grew to 100%. But this is not the first time that his professionalism has been questioned. And it just is not fit. Like his character is more fun loving than problematic right or or causing issues for a team but this is kind of a career crossroads for him where he was nearly sold by Juventus he was yanked off at halftime in their last game you wonder how much Max Allegri is going to really want to keep him in that Juventus team now he's been you know kicked off for COVID protocols this is a real crossroads for him to figure out who am I going to be as a professional right obviously he seems to really enjoy all that comes with being a professional footballer right And, and the extracurriculars right but This is a moment where, particularly in a COVID era, you've got to be a professional. And when that's coming into question, that's like the very base thing that we're talking about. You just hope that it's not emblematic of an overall setup problem or anything. It's just a him problem. But it's something that's got to get fixed. He's he's a key member. When we talk about this generation of players, he's one of the first names that comes off your tongue. It was stunning when he went to Juventus. It was thought he was going to go from Schalke to Southampton, right? All of a sudden, he's at Juventus. He's one of the players that is a part of this turnaround in the generation. And yet, the fact that he hasn't you know, held up his end of basic professionalism for a year and a half is kind of alarming. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I'm wondering, Landon... Now that you're a coach and you have the wisdom of being a coach, is there anything that you know now about handling players and situations like that that you didn't know when you were a player? Well, you're looking at it from the whole team perspective, right? So I think Greg has handled it well. I give Greg, by the way, a ton of credit for holding him out of the game. Because it would have been easy to say, eh, if it, you know, if it was another player, we can hold him out, but we need Weston in this game. And I give Greg a ton of credit for saying, no, that is the rule. You violated it. You put your team at risk and you're going to sit because of it. It hurt the team. It did. It hurt the team. They might have won the game last night with him in there. So I do have certainly a different perspective because you're looking at it from that standpoint, which is the whole team. Again, I made a lot of really dumb mistakes. I did dumb things when I was that age. And, you know, I missed a flight once with the earthquakes to Tampa. And I sat on the bench that game because I missed a flight. I missed my alarm. I made a lot of dumb mistakes. But Weston is smart enough to know that he was breaking a rule, clearly, And he shouldn't have done it. And it's as simple as that. There is plenty of time, guys, I can promise you, plenty of time throughout the year where you can go be a 23-year-old who's rich and famous and enjoy that. Plenty of time. And this was not the time for it during the first week of qualifying. This was not the time for it, and he knows better. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you guys, I'm flying to Honduras tonight. I'm exhausted. I assume the players are exhausted. The three games, adding the third game in this compressed schedule is just a lot. Unlikely that Serginio Dest 
Sprained ankle, Greg Berhalter said, will be available for Wednesday. I guess we'll see. You know, Weston McKenney may or may not be available. Gio Reyna will not definitely be available. He's already flying back to Dortmund. How important, how must win is this game, Landon? It's just the third game out of 14. And yet, if the U.S. doesn't win this game in Honduras, there's going to be a real sense of gloom about three or fewer points in these first three games. If this were a 10-game qualifying process, I would say this is not mathematically, obviously, but very, very, very close to a must-win. However, with 14 games, you do get a little leeway, especially that this game is on the road. The problem, the bigger problem, is is dropping the points at home. And that that will kill you. Canada is probably the second or third most challenging opponent at home. Mexico and Costa Rica will will provide problems to Panama, maybe. But you can't drop the points at home. So now it makes it, when you put pressure on yourself where you have to win on the road, that's when qualifying can really go the wrong way for you. And you cannot put pressure on yourself to have to win on the road. You can even lose on the road and be fine. But if you have to go into a game like this where you feel like you have to win, that's where... It can really go haywire. So I think a point is still okay in Honduras, especially because you're not giving them three points. But this is going to get hairy really fast if it's a point or no points and they start the next three games with a point or no points in the first game. This can get hairy really fast. So you got to be careful. I want to talk about the overall pressure that's on the U.S. setup. I would say two important positions. One, the manager. Because I, I do think that Greg Berhalter is getting a ton of criticism in the press right now and how he's kind of handled these two games, the lack of ideas, the lack of goal scoring, and also at the number nine position. I would say kind of like just walking around the stadium and talking to people, these are the two players that – or the two, I guess, figures that get the most conversation is, is the coach doing enough? And I, I want to talk, Landon, about something that you mentioned, which is that these games are going to be ugly, that no matter what you do, it sometimes isn't soccer. I guess my question would be why? Like, why is it that you think that Greg Berhalter with his ideas or Jurgen Klinsmann with his ideas or Bob Bradley with his ideas or everyone who's coached this team can't figure out a way to kind of play the game on the U.S.'s terms, right? In theory, they arrive at this game as the more talented team. They arrived in El Salvador as a more talented team. Why can't they impose themselves? Why is it so hard for Greg Berhalter? Because I, I really do think that this is why so many U.S. fans are frustrated, is that the U.S. are not imposing themselves. They're not obviously better. Even if they had won 1-0 last night, people still would have been frustrated at the quality of the performance. Why do you think that it's this hard to impose yourself as the United States? It's a great question, and there are a lot of factors. On the road, I'll say, is totally different than at home. So while I was much more lenient with the analysis of the El Salvador result, I'm much more critical of the home match against Canada because you don't have all those excuses or all those reasons that we talked about atmosphere, fans, field, travel, weather, etc. Last night seemingly was a great night to play soccer. There was nothing adverse about those conditions. So on the road, I, I give them some leeway, but at home, it's what I talked about earlier, Witty, is you have to put them under real pressure. It never felt like... I'll give you an example. So we played the LA Galaxy's second team yesterday. And there was a stretch in the first half where we had them under intense pressure and we finally scored. It was about a 10-minute period where we just were going and going and going. And you could just feel they were going to crack. And conversely, at the end of the game, they had us under intense pressure 
and they ended up scoring a second goal. We won 4-2, but they score a second goal because they have us under intense pressure. And when you're in enough games, you just feel that coming. I never felt that coming yesterday from the U.S. I never, even when they scored, it didn't feel like that was coming and the pressure was piling on. And it was, and so what mature teams do and why qualifying was a little bit, um, I hesitate to say easier, but for some of the more experienced teams in the past, it's because they knew it didn't have to be beautiful, but they knew where to put the ball or how to play the ball or what kind of service to provide or how to use your body to leverage to put teams under pressure, put the referee under pressure. And right now what we're doing is we're basically making it a coin flip. We're saying, okay, we'll go into the game. The referee might not be great. We're not going to put anybody under any real pressure that matters. And it's just going to be a coin flip. We made one great play. They made one great play, 1-1. And if you go into qualifying that way, you're going to get hurt eventually. You're playing with fire and eventually you're going to get burned. And we did. We're going to do this again after the next qualifier, Wednesday night at Honduras, a game that probably has more importance now than we might have thought heading into this qualifying campaign. Guys, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Ray. My pleasure. Let's hope it's a better one on Wednesday. Mm-hmm.